Rutherford Issues on News Radio WGNS. Back here on this Thursday, it's time to talk about things going on uh, concerning North Rutherford County as Representative Mike Sparks joins us in studio and kind of a hodgepodge of things to uh, get to here today. Our show presented by Turner Security. For all of your security needs, turn to Turner Security, locally owned and operated in uh, Smyrna. Mike here with us and um, got to hang out with the governor yesterday, I hear. Yeah, we have, we're at Beretta uh, USA campus in Gallatin, Tennessee, uh, for the permitless carry uh, bill signing uh, with the governor. Had a uh, few lawmakers there. They gave us a nice tour of the facility and Man, there's a lot of history with Beretta Firearms. I mean, it's 500 years, 500 years of history. And they you remember the first one, don't you? <laughs> I do, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I've seen their um, genealogy. There's a a, a little uh, plaque on the wall that that does it, and it's probably I bet the plaque's five feet five feet tall and um, probably three foot wide, and it and it goes all the way back to to the original Beretta and. Um, it's really pretty pretty fascinating. So they're they're hiring. If anybody knows anyone look, looking for a job, just go to Beretta.com, and um, they need a few uh, machine operators and assemblers and, and and whatnot. But I think they need 25, 25 people over there. Who's not hiring right now? Exactly. I mean, you know, that's what we were talking about here on uh, on on Rutherford Magazine is the um, is the issue of uh, workforce development. You know. Um, I was telling you off there, Leroy Wells, who's a who's a, a home builder, had heard us on the air. He was in North Carolina of all places, and and seen us on Facebook, and he was pretty fired up. And anybody knows Leroy, he's a pretty passionate individual. And he says, Mike, I just can't get people to come to work. And um, so you know, he he said, I've got some folks that are you know recovering from alcoholism. He said, I'm giving them jobs and they're working out great. And um, he really wants to try to reach. The youth and a couple of these guys he's working the way he told me are are young young guys that's you know had some mishaps like like many of us often have throughout life but um yeah man workforce development is a huge issue and it's just a, a societal problem i don't really know we're not going to turn around with legislation there's no way you can turn around with legislation you can't spend money at the problem i don't know how we turn it around so um this constitutional carry or permitless carry mm-hmm. what 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 does that do i know it goes into effect july 1st right yeah, july 1 yeah that's it's house bill 786 for those that have been following it basically it allows law-abiding citizens who you know you have to be 21 years of age um and uh or active in the u.s armed forces or national guard the, the right to carry without a permit um where they are lawfully present and um uh those that um who carry without a permit must have no felony convictions or orders of protection against them or pending convictions or for domestic violence stalking or other um you know uh, uh ailments and issues but um you know the uh uh you know last five years um and they had, couldn't have in the last five years they wouldn't be eligible but um you know been a little controversy about the bill no doubt um but it's it's been vetted through the committee process. It's something I've been working on the past couple of years. So uh, uh, Beretta Firearms, uh, we were there yesterday. Had a good good crowd. I was appreciative to Leader Lambert and the governor for recognizing 
uh, the workforce there, a lot of the, the guys and, and gals were, were standing there. We got to do the tour, get to talk to them, thank them. And, um, but it's a good piece of legislation, I think. Um, is, it, is it perfect? No. Um, but, uh, yeah, it goes in effect July 1st. And, um, uh, you know, one bill that, that was, was talked about yesterday on the tour was, was that bill I ran that, that cuts uh, taxes off, off of gun safes. That starts July uh, 1st as well. And I call that kind of a miracle. The, the bill had been presented the past four or five years. has never passed. And um, I had a guy come up and testify, uh, Mark Brassfield, who he owns um, some gun safe stores. It's called The Safe House. And I called him, and and he had said, "Well, I said, can you come testify?" He says, "Well, it's," he said, so "It looks out kind of self-serving for for him to come testify." I said, "Well, but you know the issue. I mean, you hear from people that's had stolen guns, and um, and he says, uh, well, yeah.'" And we come in, and I asked him, "I said, man, are you you a believer? We're in the office. Are you a believer?" He said, "Yeah." I said, "Well, let's pray about this." We prayed about it. I didn't think I was going to get the bill passed, and um, I'm going to tell you what. I, that's why I called a miracle. The bill I was the way I was going to present it. I narrowed it down to a to a sales tax holiday where there's a seven day window where you could just like the school supplies and um and I just asked the committee for their advice. I said, you know, some people think it needs to be taken off. Some people sales tax holiday to get the fiscal note down. So I just said, you know, this is the lowest this bill the fiscal note's ever been presented is is right now the past few years. And I tell you what, the committee done with the help of our leadership. Um, they come back and took the tax off of it for a whole year. So if you're going to buy any kind of gun safety devices, a gun safe, um, July 1st is the time to um, to, to, to purchase them. Uh, what's strange is a Democrat asked me to carry the bill. That's what's kind of strange. And um, I called NRA, called John Harris with TFA, Tennessee Firearms Association, and asked him. He said, Mike, we've been trying to pass that bill for about five years. We're for it. And um, we got it done. It's a half-million-dollar sales tax cut. Um but like I say, I hope it's I hope it uh, the governor takes it next year and just cuts it off totally. Because look at what happened yesterday. Uh, was it yesterday with those two juveniles? I believe that's right. I mean, yeah. How how sad is that? Um, and uh, you know they think it's a video game. So firearm safety is a big issue, and um, locking up uh, weapons is the right thing to uh, to to do. Um, so uh, we've got uh, I've got. Chairman of Education, Mark White, on the air. Mark's out of Memphis. John DeBerry was going to call in. He's with the governor right now. He was going to come to the station, but he couldn't make it. He's, he may call in if he can get a break. But, Mark, Chairman White, how you doing? Doing well, Representative Parks. Good to hear from you. Uh, this is Brian Barrett here at the station as well. And, um, gosh, um, Mike, what, what was your interest here in, in bringing Mark well, on? Well, you know, um, Chairman White's very passionate about education, Shelby County, out of Memphis, down there. And um, I was kind of uh, hoping that John could get up here as well. John's now an advisor uh, with the with the governor, um, dealing with myriad of issues. But I thought Mark could kind of catch us up on some of the summer um, uh, education issues as far as kind of getting these, these kids that have had the learning loss and talk about maybe re- remediation. So, Chairman White, how you doing? Doing, doing well. I drove into Nashville this morning have a, have a full day's worth of stuff to catch up on. You know, even though we're out of session, uh, we all know the work never ceases, getting ready for next January. And so a lot going on, especially in the education world. Well, um, I talked to John this morning. Well, 
former representative John DeBerry, he was going to try to come by the station. I, I think they're touring Memphis right now, hitting some historic sites, and I think visiting right. a few schools. They are. Yeah, they're down in Memphis today. I, I would have joined them, but I had to already made appointments up here. John DeBerry, former representative John DeBerry, is one of the finest men on the planet. We both work well together down in Memphis, and uh, just love having him. I'm so glad that Governor Lee has uh, brought him on to his his um, cabinet, and uh, he's, he's, he's a very uh, wise person. Well, Chairman White, you want to tell the listeners what happened to John last year, or do you want me to? Yeah, we, we both can jump in there. John DeBerry had been a representative, I think, Mike, since 1994-92, been up here over 25 years. Really uh, did a great job. John is a, a mainly a Christian man, and he has great faith. And he was running again with the rest of us uh, this last election, November. And of course, uh, John is in the Democratic Party. Uh, and uh, after he had already passed the filing deadline, turned in his petition to run again, uh, the state Democrat Party uh, took him off the ballot. And uh, just didn't agree with his his positions but to me they need to leave that to the voters but they did not yeah. uh so he was not able to run uh he did run as an independent we actually had to pass a special bill to allow him to run as an independent because it was after the the deadlines uh and of course it's hard when you you know republican and democrat uh or the major parties and it's hard for an independent to win and so he did not win that race but uh, just thought it was a shame that he was uh, taken out of office that that way. Yeah. Well, you know, it reminds me of I called him when we had a prayer caucus call. I guess it was last year, uh, right after all that went down, and Janice Bowling asked uh, Senator Janice Bowling asked how he was doing, and I could tell he got a little little choked up, and and I called him back later, and I talked about because uh, you know he marched with Dr. King. A lot of folks may not not realize that he marched with Dr. King as a, as a young boy. He was at the he was at the um, the mountaintop speech that the night that um the night before dr king was assassinated and you know they took him off the ballot like that and he he was pretty upset and i asked him about you know the the letter that dr king wrote from a birmingham jail and and um where he had uh i like that quote where he said it's not the words of your enemies that hurt the most but the silence of your friends and a lot of his friends were silent now a few of them did speak up in the in the paper joe towns and karen camper and some others that said it was wrong but you know i didn't even know that was legal that you could that the the Democrat Party or Republican Party could just take somebody off the ballot where it disenfranchises the the rights of the voters. That that just shocked me. I didn't I didn't realize that. Yeah, after after the uh, deadlines had all passed, you know, it's one thing to do it before uh, if you have political differences, but do it after it was just uh, not fair to him. You know, as our listeners all know, we have thirty three Senate members, we have ninety nine House members across the state of Tennessee. If all 132 of those House and Senate members were just like John DeBerry, uh, we'd be a com- completely blessed state. We are, we do have a great membership up here, uh, Mike, and, and you're one of them. And, uh, but uh, John is just one of the finest people on the planet. Yeah. Well, John's got the, the gift where I've noticed when he speaks, it's like the E.F. Hutton of the General Assembly, man. He just, um, everybody just listens to him. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. it's, but, you know, it reminds me of the story of Joseph in the Bible where, you know, his brother sold him out and, you know, God, he was falsely accused and he's in prison and God used all that um, to save their, that the, the people. And, um, 
you know, folks don't don't know what happened to John. I mean, they kicked him off the ballot, but then the the governor appoints him as a, what, what's his <laughs> official title? Advisor to the governor? Is that what? He's the, advisor. He's actually a, one of the governor's uh, cabinet members. I understand. I was looking at the sign on his door the other day in the, on the first floor of the Capitol. I think it said cabinet member. So he's 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 part of the governor's official team advisor uh, and things. And so. Um, good for governor lee for bringing him in yeah you know you you would think you'd think this make national news you think cnn would be all over it but it don't fit the narrative and uh so they're gonna keep it silent but you know i think he's the first african-american to be to have an office on the first floor if i'm not mistaken that's that is probably correct no uh, we're going to pivot here just a little bit. Uh, Representative White, hang on there with us. Uh, we've got someone who wanted to ask uh, Representative Sparks uh, a question here, and then we'll, we're going to talk more about this education issue as well. But, caller, uh, what do you have for Representative Sparks? Good morning. Yes, Mr. Sparks, I would like to know what can be done about grandparent rights in the state of Tennessee. I contacted your office about a month ago or so. One of your assistants got information that's the last I've heard of it. Yeah, uh, just uh, just call call the office seven four one six eight two nine. I just tried to text my assistant just now for for some information. He's helping somebody right now on an unemployment claim. In fact, I'm meeting with that constituent tomorrow at their house to be on the phone with them. I would just call them. Um, and and have you talked to the Department of of um, of Aging and talked to them as well? No, I have not. I'm willing to go protest at the state capitol if that's what needs to be done, and I'm sure I'm not the only grandparent that would like grandparents. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. You're welcome to call me off there. My cell number is five two five three one nine eight. Let me get this wrote down. You said your cell number was five two five You would know me if you seen me. I used to be with Roland Thunder. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Just give me a just give me a shout. And um, uh, Marvin's been t- he's been swamped with unemployment claims. I mean, he really has. And so, like I said, I'm going to I'm going to that constituent's house tomorrow. Um, and she's with that. Yeah. She was telling me she's with that bridge ministry that helps the homeless in Nashville. So sorry about what you're what you're going through. But you think of the thousands of grandparents that's out there ra- raising kids due to a lot of this is uh, the, the the a lot of the drug problem and and other issues that's out there. So I'm I'm sorry yeah. for what you're going through. I mean. I've got three that I don't even get to see. Yes, ma'am. And I'm sure there's other grandparents that don't get to see theirs either. Yes, ma'am. Well, I'm sorry for what you're what you're dealing with. There's just a myriad of issues out there, and I mean, there's just so much out there. But I'll I'll be off here at eleven. You're welcome. To give me, or yeah, eleven. Give me a call. Thank you. Appreciate right, th- it. Thank you, ma'am. All right. All right. Um, let's let's talk some education here. Um, Representative Mark White uh, with us, and kind of led into that representative uh, with um, conversation about you know the the year with COVID, distance learning, all this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, it, it's been a difficult year. I think we can all agree that uh, the teachers, administrators, all those within the school systems just did really a remarkable job this year, but um, you all think there's still some loss of, of learning and trying to catch up this summer, if, if I understand right. Well, thank you. Yes, uh, I do. Of course, I represent an urban area, Memphis, uh, and then uh, larger cities. I think there's been a, a lot of uh, learning loss during, during the past year. Uh, first of all, let me congratulate our teachers and our school districts. They didn't see this coming. Nobody saw this coming last year. 
and hit us just very quickly. So we had to just kind of fall back and punt and do the best you could through the end of 2020. Then we started 20, uh, August of 2020 school year and still been struggling with it most, most, most of the year. But uh, I think virtual, we had to do it. Uh, we did the best we could. It's now time to get back in school uh, in person with the teacher in front of the classroom. And I'm hoping that, you know, 99% of our kids are able to do that uh, moving forward. So this summer, that's what we did. We went into special session last January to deal with this. We had three main objectives uh, that we had to put in place so that we get let our 147 school districts know to plan for. So we set up a, a summer learning bridge program, summer school, tutoring, all the things that will be going on this summer with, and there are, we are blessed in Tennessee. We have, we have the revenue to do this, and then there's been a lot of federal money come in. And so we're paying our teachers $1,000 a week to uh, to uh, conduct summer school all, all year, uh, for about four weeks of summer, and then tutoring programs. And then what we're going to be looking for, we're going to have a summer study at the end of September, uh, our education committee, to look at some of the results, see what the data starts coming in and, and seeing if this helped, uh, it's got to help, of course. And so these summer schools will be back in person with, with the uh, teachers and the students, trying to catch the students up. I've been in too many classrooms over the past year, watching the virtual or wa- or watching virtual or in the classroom where there's been a hybrid. And uh, you know, we did the best we can, but I- I'm not a fan of virtual, uh, totally. So hopefully that we can move forward. You know, here in in Rutherford County, we actually have a virtual school, which saw record um, involvement, and it it seems to be one of those things that's catching on. But to me, that has to be a very individual thing. My daughter was a senior this year, and, um, you know, she wanted to be in class because she really struggled with with the uh, virtual learning. So uh, I think parents get to help their kids try to determine some of that stuff, too. But... um, Obviously, Mike being in the classroom is is vital for for most kids. You know, uh, Chairman White knows. I've I've went back to school, finished my degree late in life. In fact, I'm in a, a online class now, and it's it's difficult. I, I like to be in the classroom because I pick up from students. It's just it's just different when you're because you learn just the technology today. These these youngsters they know all this, and somebody like me. It's hard to navigate on online. I know you're giving me this. Well, this looking at your terrible, phone, I, <laughs> terrible look on technology. That's kind of a dinosaur for, of a phone. There, but they do got. need to be in the in the classroom. <laughs> um, Chairman White, how do you? I don't see how you balance everything. I watch you during the general assembly. You've got all these folks want to meet with you, and you you try to get out there in the classroom. You try to listen to teachers. How do you balance it all, Mark? I think one of the smartest things I ever did is I did this later in life. <laughs> I'm now 71, yeah. so even though I still work full time uh, uh, for university, but I, you know, you get to the point where if you're going to do, you do this because it's a passion. You do it because you know you want to, and you really want to make a difference. And I started my career out back in the 70s as a school teacher and principal, and just have a great passion for children. And uh, we've got to get this right. You know, I, I always say that if you let a child out of the 12th grade that's spent the last 13 years of their life, from pre-K to kindergarten all the way to 12th grade, and they're not able to have a good enough education where they can 
you know, sell their skills and go on to college or a, a Votech degree, then it's criminal yeah. to, to do that to an 18-year-old. And so we have a responsibility as adults to make sure that we do the very best we can with with the money that we have as a state to put into education. In the, in the last 12 years I've been up here, we've put over additional $2 billion new dollars into education. Yeah. And uh, still not enough. We want to do more, but you know, the taxpayers of Tennessee can only handle so handle so much, and so we yeah. have, and we got 23 departments all screaming for money, also. So we try to balance the needs across. But um, it, it, it's a passion, uh, love for children, and uh, trying trying to listen to everybody and, and get it right. Well, you do you do a good job. I know um, one of the issues that, that I've tried to bring up is the lack of fathers, the breakdown of the family, and lack of mentors. And you've tell us about your book. You've wrote a book. Um, Tell us how that book came about, because I used your book as a prop in committee when I passed that legislation, what, last year or two, which one I'm supposed to use props. I just happened to have your book with me. <laughs> Tell us a little about your book. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Uh, the book is called May I Call You Dad? Why Fathers Are Needed in the Home. And I truly believe that we could we could solve 98% of the educational issues we have today if, if we would uh, rebuild our homes and make sure that our children are growing up in strong homes with a uh, strong father and a strong mother. Uh, I think that's that's the uh, that's this, the cradle of civilization, the home. If if every parent would do do their job, and so the book came as an idea. I started working with children in the country of Panama back in twenty uh, two thousand and trying to help them on scholarship programs to get an education because they live, these are two-dollar-a-day families living on dirt floors, and they're in this extreme poverty. And I found out that uh, every home I'd go in, there'd be no father there, and there'd be a bunch of little children, and they're all starving to death, half of them, and there's only a, a woman there, a mother there, who's doing the best she can, but not adequate food. And so um, to break that poverty, it's, it's education. And so we would go in and... and uh, to these children and make sure they stayed in school down there and then help them with a, a university degree if they if they moved on past that because uh, education changes everything. And this one young lady uh, started working with her when she was 12, and she came up. I was able to get her a visa. It took, it took a while to get her a visa to come up business for two weeks. And while she was here, she handed me a note that says, I have a question. May I call you dad? Wow. It yeah. broke, broke my heart that any child would have to ask that. She had a very wonderful mother in Panama, and of course, I continued to work with her over the years. She's now gone from 12 to she's now 32. Got two children of her own, grown up. She got an education, and she's uh, working. Uh, the COVID hit Panama pretty hard, also, and she was working in a hotel, so she's been off for a while, but doing very well. But uh, the home is just the apex of everything. Starts if it works there, society works. Yeah. Um, one interesting thing on the uh, education side that we've been hearing a lot here in Rutherford County is the uh, expected really high number of kindergartners coming in this year. There may be uh, there, there were several who kind of fell into that uh, age where they could either start kindergarten this year in the pandemic or wait until next year to see if things were better. And so um, we're expecting a really big kindergarten class, but next year that'll be first grade, and the next year that'll be second grade. And so uh, moving right on up and through, it, it's going to be interesting to see how that's going to play out too. A absolutely. And that's one thing that I'm working on with other people in the, in the education committee and a lot of stakeholders. 
we've really got to focus, especially with this year loss, learning loss for many of our children, uh, rework on the pre-K through second grade, pre-K through third grade to make sure that they are called up uh, and that they're ready to move on. Uh, you know, it's a common saying up here is that, you know, if you if you have your reading skills and things by the end of third grade, you can move on to fourth and do well because then you're you're reading your material, you know, just to learn and not learning to read anymore. So we're going to have a heavy focus come next year on early childhood literacy, which we already started this year because the numbers are coming back in. Many parents have their children out due to the COVID and the virtual. Yeah. And so you're absolutely right. Uh, but uh, we're going to have a heavy emphasis on those pre-K through third grade years. Well, uh, Representative White, it's uh, been a pleasure having you along. Mike, I appreciate it. Yeah, Thanks. thank you, Brian. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Appreciate y'all inviting me. All right, take care. And uh, that's going to do it here for our program today. If you uh, would like to catch up with uh, maybe any of the conversation you missed from earlier, if you just joined us, you can check WGNSRadio.com under Podcast and Rutherford Issues and wherever you listen to audio, iTunes, Google Play, uh, Stitcher, all of those places, you can check out the podcast wherever you're consuming audio. Hope you have a wonderful day, everybody. We'll see you back here next time. Uh-huh.